Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ, in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the place of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the richness of God's grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he, purposed, uh, which he purposed in Christ, to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfilment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. In him we were also chosen, having pre been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we who were the first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession, to the praise of his glory. This is the word of the Lord. One day, every single one of us is going to breathe our last breath and leave this world. It's a bit grim way to start a sermon, but it's true that, that there will be a point at which every single one of us will leave this world behind and we will come forth into the glory that God has prepared in the future. And, and all the sin and brokenness of this world is just going to be closed like a book and God is going to take it all and remake it as it was meant to be. And you and I will each stand face to face with the living God in, in the glory of his presence and look in, in the radiant beauty of his eyes and see what we now currently are talking about in church in part. We will see it in full. And, and my fear, and I wonder if some of you guys feel this too, is that I'm going to see God in all of his glory and all of his beauty and think, gosh, I wish I'd lived my life a little differently. Not from a place of fear, because the gospel has set us free from our sin. We're washed, we're forgiven, we're, we're brought to life. I'm standing before God and I'm not falling over in death because he saved me in his grace. But, but encountering the truth of who he is, I wonder if I'm going to look back on these few years that I have here on the earth and go, gosh, I think I would have lived it differently if I really knew how beautiful the gospel was. We know that the gospel is good news. I mean, it's literally the word. Gospel just means good news. But sometimes I feel like I treat it more like a two-for-one burger deal on a Saturday, a nice little thing that enriches my week, and then I get on with the real business of living the life that I want to live. When it's actually more like a letter of multi-billion dollar inheritance, not the Nigerian prince kind in your junk mail, but, but the real deal. That if you truly, you received this letter that said, hey, you will have billions upon billions of dollars deposited into your account, suddenly your world looks different and your future is going in a different direction. 
again, speaking for myself and maybe for some of you, I, I feel like the life that I live goes, wow, that's pretty cool. And then I close the letter and put it back in the drawer and then start complaining about the price of milk, you know? Like, it's, if we truly understood everything that is ours in Jesus, it would, it would be like a volcano erupting and completely changing the landscape. Everywhere that once was clear paths has now got rocky terrain and, and that mountain over there is fully destroyed because if Jesus is truly who he says he is and, and what he offers is truly what he offers, everything's different. Now, that's why I'm so, so excited that we're in Ephesians because Ephesians is like this lift your eyes kind of book. It meets us in that place and says, hey, let me refresh you in what's truest about you and about this world so that we can live differently. It's a banquet of beauty. And we're going to go through verses 3 to 14 over these next few weeks. We're going to go low and slow, try and just pull out all of the juices and beauty that comes in these passages. So today, all we're looking at is verses 3 to 6, because we want to sit in these things that God has gifted us in Christ so that we can feel the weight and, and beauty of how that changes everything. So I got three words for you. Again, I said to you guys in high school that are still, still in the service, out of 10, hit me with a sermon number. I'm ready for it. I only got three words for you. We're not going to go too long. Blessed, chosen, adopted. Blessed, chosen, adopted. If you've got a Bible, you want to open it up. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 to 6. First phrase says this. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. And we're going to go through some, some incredible truths about the gospel, but have a quick look at the first word. Praise. The gospel is life-changing good news for every person. But the true heart of the gospel is not you, it's God. It's not about you. This world is not about you. Life is not centered around you. We are not the sun around which the world orbits. That is the eternal and infinite God. He made you in the first place for the praise of his glory. And then when we stuffed it all up in our sin and our brokenness, he reaches down in love to pull us back so that we might be the people who Praise him. You will find the life that you long for when you stop looking inward and you start looking upward because that is who we were made for. Now, the, the phrasing here, you know, forgive my dodgy New Testament Greek, but it's something more like, um, may God be blessed who blesses us. So this word praise is actually the same root word as blessing. And so we keep it in praise in our NIV so that we kind of capture the main heart of it, but we miss the wordplay. What God is saying here through Paul is in every spiritual blessing that comes into your life and changes you forever, may God be blessed. You've been blessed to bless. Now, we understand what downward blessing looks like. It's, it's right here. It's when someone above or more powerful or, or you know, with, with authority and something to give, they bestow something upon you. They, they give generously. They, they lay something in your life. That's, that's what makes sense. God blesses us. But what does it mean to bless upward? Well, blessing upward is this sense in which we are tracing back those blessings that God has passed to us and looking forward up to him to give him the praise that he deserves. We're talking about praise with fire. 
Now, when I was a wee young lad, I remember this Christmas vividly. I think I was six or seven. My dad gave me the best Christmas present I've ever received. Now, bear with me. It was a computer game, right? And I opened up this present, and there's this game. And I was confused because it was a game that I already had, and I already played with him all the time. And so I was like, why, why are you giving me the game? I already have that. And he said, well, I spent the last three months, every time you go to bed, spending two or three hours leveling up this character for you right? I've just been, you know, I knew, I'm six or seven, I've got no idea how to do anything significant. He's just leveling this character up, he's like, I know you want to play with me, but we're kind of all over the place, so I put in this investment to make sure that you could have this cool character that could do everything with me. And again, that might sound small to you, but my little six-year-old heart was burning, because he saw me, he knew me, and he saw what I really wanted, which was to, to do something with my dad, And so I looked him in the eyes, and my words said thank you, but my heart burned with gratitude. That is praising the Lord. Blessing him as we receive everything from God and truly feel the weight of what he's done in Jesus. Our praise is on fire as we give it back to him and say, Lord, thank you. Now, of course, there's dry spiritual seasons, and we still praise him anyway, There's all sorts of things, but this picture is is the Psalms. We say, bless the Lord, O my soul, from my innermost depths. May you have everything that I am. Let us never be a people who take worship flippantly. Not that, that we don't have intimacy and relationship, but that we just take it for granted because we have been given so much, and that is all to the praise of his name. But I think where we fall apart a little bit is when we start reading on and we think about, well, how has God blessed us? You hear your Bible in front of you? Praise be to the God and Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us, here's where we get lost, in the heavenly realms. What does that mean? Kind of confusing. Okay, cool. With every spiritual blessing in Christ, God sticks a Lamborghini in front of you and you go, well, all right, I know what to do with that. He gives you a spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms, and it can feel a bit vague, right? A bit invisible. It's, it's something that's hard to touch or taste, and, and so we can start to get our head around it, but over time, it sort of just drifts into the periphery. And so many Christians who do truly know and see all that Jesus has done start to just lose a little bit of steam. That fire that comes forth in praise is just getting dimmer and dimmer, because the tangible things of the world draw our attention away from the unseen things of God. But it's really important for us to realize that unseen does not mean non-existent. And that spiritual does not mean invisible and ethereal. In fact, it, it largely means eternal and lasting. And so the blessings that God has offered us in Christ are actually far greater than anything you could put in my hands physically. You could completely transform my life with wealth, with property, with with privilege and opportunity, and at the end of the day, it's a short blip in the radar of eternity. When what God is doing here is giving us something absolutely infinite in its scale, and something that doesn't just deal with the externals of our life, but remakes us from the inside and leads us into the life that we were always meant to live. He, he is the one who made us, and his, his blessings reach down into the deepest parts of who we are and give us what we most desperately need. 
I think sometimes we need to learn how to look at the world, how the Bible would have us look at the world, instead of how the world would have us look at the world. We tend to follow the scientific method. What I can see and test is true. If I can't do that, it's not real, or at least we'll hold it with some skepticism. And of course, Christians don't, don't think that. We believe in God, right? That's a part of it. But when it comes down to this level, it's, it's, it's sort of difficult to, to grasp and put our hands on. But we must be a people who come to see far more is truer here than what we can earn for ourselves. And I think the key phrase to do that is to see that last bit of that sentence, in Christ. In Christ. We covered it a little bit last week when Josh really beautifully opened up the book, but, but Jesus is not offering you a metaphor when he calls you in Christ. He's not just saying something to make you feel good, saying, hey, I care so much about you. You can be in me. You can, why don't you come over to my house? We can be friends. For, that's not what he's saying. In these two words, in Christ, we are seeing a concrete, eternal transformation occur in who you fundamentally are as a person. John 15, when Jesus talks about this, he talks about the vine and the branch. I am the vine, you are the branch. I am in you and you are in me. And if you remain in me, you will bear much fruit. He's saying, you just don't even really know where the branch ends and the vine begins because you've just been so, so ultimately fused with me, which sounds all well and nice. But when you really think about what's going on here, when Jesus talks about himself, the divine one, the son, with his father, the eternal God, and he says, I am in the father and the father is in me. Then he looks at you and says, I am in you as you are in me. And you realize, I feel a little blasphemous talking about it, you are being drawn into God himself. It's spiritual. Unseen, invisible, feels difficult to make sense of. But don't hear this wrong. It's not a metaphor. It's not an illustration. It is an ontological reality that has changed you. And what you see in part now you will experience in full. And what you have right now is every spiritual blessing in this oneness with Christ. And you've been given plenty of metaphors to make sense of this. We talked about it last week in the kids' talk. We'll talk about it now. Marriage is given in Scripture to say, this is kind of what the one flesh thing looks like. You know, sex in marriage is, is not just about what should be happening in your home or in your sex life. It's, it's, it's in this context of commitment because there is an intimacy that just paves the way in a small way to what God would say, this is what we have, the oneness that you can't find anywhere else except for in the, the confines of the most intimate and beautiful relationship. That is what he is, has offered you and drawn you into. We have become one with the God who made us. Now, Jesus says, I will abide in you. And then he looks us in the eye John 15, he says, will you abide in me? Now, everything we have in Christ, we didn't do anything for it. But the question is, will you live in that? I think that's, that's the key. When we come to spiritual blessings that feel difficult to handle in this world of materialism, you have to turn your attention towards it. Will you abide in him? I like to think of it as you can live in Christ or you can live in me. Which one are you going to choose? And I can tell you which one will bear fruit for eternity. I can tell you which one will actually give you the life that you long for. His name is Jesus, and he's accomplished everything on that cross. It's already done. He, his last words, it is finished. It's already yours. 
All we need to do is open our eyes. So that's blessed. Next two words. We'll move a little quicker. Don't stress. The next word here is chosen. Verse 4. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. This is a verse you might read and go, all right, this is the predestination stuff, huh? I mean, I was the youth pastor for a while, guys. I know the minute you read a verse like this in youth ministry, it's like we're not going to talk about anything else for the next seven weeks. We're just going to talk about, so God chose this, but he didn't choose me, and what about hell, and what about heaven? And there's all these questions that come out, right? Because we, you know, it makes sense. We are talking here about a mystery. We are talking about the God who stands outside of time, making a decision about the world before it's even been made, and speaking to eternity to come. Of course, we're going to have questions. That makes sense, and we should talk about those. We absolutely should. What I want you to see here, though, is Paul isn't trying to give you a theological grenade to blow your life up. He's trying to encourage you. And he's trying to say, listen, God knows you better than you know yourself. He knows the darkest thoughts that you've never told to anyone else. And guess what? He chose you. Your presence in Christ, your participation and receiving of the gospel has nothing to do with you. It's all him. He set his affection upon you before you could do anything to earn it. And his love and his love alone is what will hold you fast and carry you through. And this is such good news for people like you and me. We're fickle. We wander. We struggle. We know that we're not perfect. Sometimes we think we're perfect. And we, we oscillate. We go back and forth. And, and You have been chosen before the beginning of the world. And you can trust him to carry it through to completion. Now, I don't know what sport you're into. I've been into basketball for most of my life. When you want to try out for a significant basketball team, what do you do? You train. right? You get in the gym. You start running suicides is what they're called. I don't know if we call them something different these days. It's a bit more PC. That's what we used to call them, where you just run back and forth until you fall down dead because you can't breathe anymore. That's what we called them, right? You would train hard until you got to the moment of tryouts, and then you work harder because this is the one moment you can prove yourself, right? You work hard as hard can be until you, you just leave it all out on the court, and then what do you do? You wait. You hope you get the call. Was I good enough? Did I make it? Here's the answer. You're not good enough. And God chooses you anyway. There's nothing you can do to earn his affection. There's nothing you can do to win his approval. He already loves you. And so he already chose you. And the beautiful thing, he knows that you still stuff it up. Because he says he chose you to be holy and blameless in his sight. Those three words are really important. He chose you to be holy and blameless, and each of us, we're all on our own journey of that. We're working out, you know, the things within us that maybe aren't so holy. We're working on it, ups and downs, right? We're not going to talk about it right now, but, you know, we should. What he's saying is, I've chosen you to be holy and blameless, but you don't actually need to be that because I have chosen you to be holy and blameless in my sight. Again, come back to this idea of where are all these blessings? They're in Christ. He can say with complete certainty, I see you to be holy because you have been joined with Jesus. This is not a metaphor. You have been made one with the perfect one. And so looking at you in all of your mess, he just clothes you in his beauty and his righteousness. And so he looks at you even at your darkest moments and says, you are perfect in my sight. Not because of you, but because of Jesus. 
There's this album from a band that I really like called King's Kaleidoscope, great Christian music. One of their band albums is called Becoming Who You Are. That's the Christian journey. He said to you, you are holy because of Jesus. Now let's walk in that direction together. And the beauty is you never strive for holiness with this need to be enough. You, you walk into holiness because he's already calling you holy. There's never anything to prove with God because he knows us and he's made everything that we need. And the reason this all comes together is because he has, third word, adopted you. Verse 5, in love he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. This is the heart of God for you. You can help someone from a distance. You can. You can donate to a fund. You can sign up for a meal roster. You can even do big things for people that you don't know. God wants to help you. He does. But he doesn't just choose to throw help at you. He draws close to you and says, I want you to be a part of my family. I love you. I don't just vaguely care about you, you know, side pat from a buddy who's just walking alongside you along the way. He says, I, I meet you at your very core, and I want to draw you near and enfold you in my love. And so he says, I, he predestined us to be adopted to sonship. I read a story a little while ago of a pastor in the States who um, adopted a young girl, and she had bounced from, I think, nine different foster homes before she landed in this, this home. And she, she'd gone from here to here to here to here to here. Each of these houses had great intentions. They thought, well, we want to love this girl who needs our love. But as the time went on, she was just so difficult that they had to go, well, I'm sorry, we can't do it anymore. Just for the sake of our other children, like, we can't do this anymore. And this, this pastor and his family just from the beginning knew this story and said, we will be here the whole way through. There is nothing that this girl can do to stop us from loving her, let's just go straight for adoption. None of this foster business, you will be in our family. And she tore the place to shreds. Right? She, she physically hurt the three other biological children. She physically tore the place to shreds. She, she was so difficult, and you would expect it. It makes sense of her story. And so these, these parents are thinking, like, what do we do with this? How do we make sense of this? And so they had this thought, like, okay, let's get the kids in the room, get them to the lounge room. All right, guys. We're going to go away. We're going to have a family trip. We're just going to bond together and do something wonderful. Let's go to Disneyland. I mean, they're in the States, so I think it's a bit easier than if we were going to go to Disneyland. It's a big, big deal. I've never been to Disneyland. I'm sure it's great. The three biological kids lose it. They're just like, yeah, this is amazing. This girl who's been adopted, she just quietly walks out of the room and goes outside. And the dad follows. He goes, why aren't you excited? This is incredible news. And she looks at him and says, I, I know I'm going to do more wrong things and you're going to end up leaving me. So, I, I mean, I'm not going to Disneyland. Let's be real about this. And the dad looks her in the eyes and says, you're not coming to Disneyland because you're good. You're coming to Disneyland because you're mine. You're coming to Disneyland because you're part of my family. And yes, let's work on the, the whole destruction thing. That's a bad, let's work on that. But you are a part of this family and nothing can take that away. And that is just the, the tip of the iceberg of the love of Christ for you, that he would draw you into his family and call you his own. You are loved beyond compare, and that, that shatters anything else in this world that would hold you back from knowing God, because you are a son or daughter of the living God. 
You might lack affection and love in your marriage, in your family, and in your friendships. And we need those things as humans, we do, but there is a bedrock that will hold you fast, and that is the love of the Father. Notice the language here, he says, in love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship. This isn't some first century misogyny, he's not just elevating the boys and saying, too, too, too bad girls, off you go. The word here for sonship is, is the word of the ancient household, of the one who stood to inherit everything from the father. This is the heir. It happened to be the son in the first century. But he speaks to men and women alike and says, you are not just being made a son or a daughter. Everything I have is yours. And what do I have? Everything. <laughs> that is where we stand when we come to Jesus. And he makes us one with him. He draws us in with the love that covers over every sin we've ever committed and every sin we ever will commit. And he says, I love you and you have everything that I have. And so I personally just feel like I need to reorient my life around this. Because if this is true, the things that I'm turning my world towards in this little moment that I have here on earth, it's just empty. Because this is the stuff that matters. Because my life is to come back to God and to dwell with Him forever. And if I can be alongside others and draw them into this too and encourage one another with this, this is the thing that is most important in existence. Would this be what defines us at 4 p.m., that we would be a community who looks not to the physical things of this world, but dwells deeply in the blessings of everything that God has for us in Christ. And we finish where we started, verse 6. It's all to the praise of His glorious grace, which He has freely given us in the one He loves. His glory does not take away from our grace. His glory is magnified as we dwell deeply in that grace. And so draw deep, drink deeply from the Lord and just pour it all back to Him with blessing. Praise with fire. Let's be the people of the Lord who prays. Let me pray, God, that God would do this for us, Lord. Lord Almighty, you are holy and blameless when we are not. And yet you are the God of love who reaches down anyway. You do not just meet us and help us wipe the slate clean and send us on our way, but you, you draw us near and you never let us go, Lord. Lord, you know each of us in this room. You know the state of our lives and the state of our faith. God, I just pray that you would be near to each one of us. You'd speak the word that we need to hear. That you'd enfold us in your love again and again. That we might be a people not simply of the seen, but of the unseen. Lord, ultimately, God, would you just get so much glory here as we just slowly become more and more the people you meant us to be. Would you be the name upon our lips and the one to whom all of this looks towards. We pray this all for Jesus' sake and in Jesus' name.